0: Hello and welcome to another episode of EKU Online's ECAS series. EKU Online's mission is to change lives by providing access to affordable and high quality degree programs in meaningful disciplines that positively impact our society. We thank you for joining us. Today we're joined by Dr. Jamie Henning, professor in the Department of Psychology, and the coordinator of the Master of Science in the Industrial Organizational Psychology program. She coordinated the transition to a fully online master's program in 2017, and has been teaching in the online domain at the graduate and undergraduate levels for almost 10 years. Her primary research interests lie in the areas of organizational and occupational health psychology. Current research areas include the work-life interface, workplace safety, and workplace aggression, in addition to corporate and social responsibility, focusing on employee volunteerism and environmental sustainability. Dr. Henning is a widely published researcher, having earned a PhD in industrial organizational psychology from Texas A&M University. Welcome, Dr. Henning, and thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, we sincerely appreciate it, and let's just jump right in. Some of our listeners may be asking themselves, what is industrial organizational psychology? So would you please take a moment and just introduce the discipline to us?
1: Industrial organizational, or IO psychology, is a specialty field of psychology that focuses on the application of psychology to the workplace. So it's an area of scientific study and professional practice and really aims to understand and measure human behavior in order to make the workplace better for the people who work there. So in order to do this, Iopsychologists psychologists would study factors like employee attitudes and behaviors, um, interpersonal processes at work like team and group processes, um, processes like motivation and leadership organizational culture, um, organizational and individual productivity. I think sometimes there's a misconception that IO psychologists are only focused on the organization's productivity and the organization's bottom line. Um, And that's not true. We're really focused more on the individual and the individual's experiences, how they can contribute to the organization. Um, So we also look at things like the match between people and their jobs, Uh, through things like employee selection processes, employee training and development programs.
0: Well, with this specialized area of psychology, Dr. Henning, where do graduates usually find jobs? And is the job market a growing one?
1: It is. So graduates of Iowa master's programs can really find themselves working in a wide variety of settings. Um, In terms of career paths in general, IO psychologists and practitioners tend to work in four main areas. So they tend to be employed in industry, so whether large organizations or small organizations, um, in consulting firms, the government hires a lot of IO psychologists, and then in academia. And we actually have graduates of our program who work in all four of these areas. So we have graduates who are working in human resource roles, again, in large companies, some in very small companies. Um, we have graduates in organizational development positions. We have several alumni who work in IO consulting firms. Uh, most of them work as project consultants, but we do have some who work as research consultants. And then we have several graduates who work in university settings in research analyst type positions.
0: Well, with this program completely online now, what do the demographics of your student population look like? In other words, what kind of students is the program attracting and what kind of students find success in this type of program?
1: So the demographics of our graduate program look a lot different than they did in our on-campus face-to-face program. So the majority of our students have full-time jobs. Um, Many of them are parents. We have at least two students, one who graduated and one currently in the program who each have five children and full-time jobs and are completing our graduate program. A lot of our students have been out of school and in the workforce for several years. We have more students who are coming to us with a background outside of psychology, which has been interesting um, and probably a little unexpected, but but really great to see. I don't think you necessarily have to have a background in psychology to be successful in the program, um, but it certainly helps if their undergraduate background provided them with knowledge of research methods and statistics. We found that that seems to make a big difference for students. And one thing that has really surprised me about our student population is the number of active duty military students that we have. Um, We have several students that are currently deployed We have students that are stationed all over the country. So that's been nice to see as well.
0: Well, as you meet and advise students, Dr. Henning, how do you respond to the basic question of why they ought to pursue further work in industrial organizational psychology? How does this discipline enhance a student's life and his career opportunities?
1: one of the aspects that's so great about training in our field is again, that it can prepare you to work in such a wide variety of settings. Um, so when, you know, I start helping students or advising them with their job search, I usually tell them that they're not likely going to be searching for jobs with IO psychologist or IO practitioner in the title because so few people know what IO psychologists are and what we do. So, um, But the good thing is, I think the skills that are developed through completing a degree in I.O. are highly transferable skills that are applicable to a wide range of careers. And I think the key is that you really have to be able to sell this and make it clear to employers who have no idea what I.O. psychology is. You know, regardless of the career that you go into, if you have this scientific and evidence-based understanding of how organizations work, I think that can really help improve your own work life.
0: Well, going back to the demographics issue for just a moment, do you find that these students are um, more serious or, I I don't want to say better students, but that they take the work more seriously than, than the traditional age students?
1: so. um, We certainly have many traditional age graduate students in our our program as well who come straight out of the undergraduate degree, Um, but a lot of our students are looking to advance in their current organizations and and, in their current careers, so I think they are really motivated to you know not just get A's in their classes, but to really learn the material and be able to apply it and develop the skills that are necessary to be successful practitioners in our field.
0: Okay, well, I want to segue now into into another issue, and that's your courses that you teach. As I look through them, I was struck by how super organized they are. They're super easy to navigate. They're intuitive. They're well laid out. And I also noticed that you use a lot of tools, um, VoiceThread, Screencast-O-Matic, Google Slides, and, and others. So within that context or framework of of being such a well-designed course or courses, please tell our audience a little bit about your philosophy of teaching online.
1: Well, a lot of the organization of my courses, I think is due to the great instructional designers that I've been fortunate to work with over the past few years, that's that's a big part of it. But regarding my philosophy of teaching online, um, I think my general teaching philosophy really centers on the importance of communicating effectively with the individual students in my courses. So, you know, in addition to just being able to communicate general content well, I think it's really important to communicate the relevance of the course and the course materials to students daily lives and their experiences and future careers Um, and to honestly communicate to them that although they might feel like they have to work really hard in my classes, that my intent is never to waste their time. Um, Some of them might not agree with that, but it's true. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) And I believe that organization plays a, a really key role in this. Most of our online courses are delivered in eight week or sometimes shorter formats, and I think it can be really difficult for some students to master the content of a course in this abbreviated format, especially if it's not what they're used to. Um, And I don't want navigating the course content or the course expectations to be an impediment to their learning. So I really hope that the organization of the course can facilitate their learning and their understanding and their knowledge of the relevance and how this applies to their daily lives. And so I try to keep that in mind when I'm structuring my courses and developing the course materials. And I really feel the same way about the tools that I use in my courses. You know, I know it can be fun to learn and implement new tools in our courses, but I try not to implement the use of a tool just for the sake of using a different technology. Um, I, I certainly, Try to use different tools and technologies because I believe that students differ in their strengths and their preferences and one student might shine in one area and one type of assignment but do poorly in another. And so I really want to meet the needs of as many students as I can. But I try to ensure that any technology or any tool that I'm using in a course either provides a simple but impactful way to deliver content or provides the students with some skill development. So, you know, by completing an assignment and this using this particular tool or technology, I hope that the skills that they're developing through that means will transfer into the workplace, regardless of the type of job that they're in.
0: Very good. You, you've taught online, Dr. Henny, for nearly a decade now, which is in online terms, a very long time. Please describe, if you would, what you like most about teaching online.
1: I think um, one of the things I like most, and and one of the things that really surprised me, is the level of interaction that I have with the students in my courses and the level of engagement that that they demonstrate. Um, when I first started teaching online a long time ago, <laughs> I was really skeptical, probably like a lot of other faculty. Um, you know. I didn't think the students would be very engaged in the material. I didn't really know what, if anything, they would take away from it, if they would even look at the material, or, or you know, what they would be doing. And what I've found in my online courses is that's obviously not the case. Um, I think my online students are probably some of my most engaged students, and I do believe that on some level in order to be successful, that online students often need to take on a greater sense of responsibility for their own learning. And so I'm always really impressed by this, especially you know given many of them are coming back to school after several years, many of them have full-time jobs, they're raising families. So I'm honestly really just inspired by a lot of our students who are, who are in the online classes given all these other roles they're in as parents and, and caregivers and partners and employees, some of them working multiple jobs, and, you know, they're able to complete their degrees online. And a lot of them really motivated to be here. It's not easy for them to be here. And so they're, you know, they're very motivated and take it very seriously.
0: I want to delve now a little bit into the discipline itself. So... How has the pandemic affected our national workforce? Many of them who are still remote and has it negatively or positively impacted performance and satisfaction?
1: Well, I'm gonna give the answer that my graduate students hate when I give and say, it depends. (laughs) Um, I don't know that we have a lot of data on this yet, but I've seen some mixed findings regarding productivity and satisfaction and employee engagement during during the pandemic. And one of the things that I think this really comes down to is organizational culture. So how are organizational leaders handling the shift to remote work or working on site during a pandemic and all of the other issues that we've seen in our society that seem to come along with this. Um, you know, things like educational systems, childcare systems. Um, I think a lot of companies have been able to capitalize on how they manage the time and talent and energy of their employees during the pandemic. I think they've found new ways to implement technology to actually improve coordination and improve communication among their employees. But on the other end, um, some of the survey data that I've seen suggests that a lot of organizations have actually implemented some inefficient work practices during the pandemic. Uh, I saw some survey results that showed that there's been a significant increase in the number of virtual meetings that employees are required to attend and in the number of employees who are required to attend the meetings. So it sounds like we have a lot more employees spending more time in meetings which while the intent might be positive, can can actually backfire and result in poor collaboration. Um, It obviously reduces the productive time of a lot of employees and can really reduce employee engagement. And we do know that there's a pretty strong link between employee engagement and productivity. So I would say that for the average organization it's highly possible that engagement and productivity have decreased over the past year. But then again, I, saw, I recently saw the results of another survey conducted by Mercer, and they, I think, surveyed about 800 employers, and over 90% of these employers reported that their organizational productivity was the same or better than it was before the pandemic with most of their workforce working remotely. So, um, you know, I think it really depends on how organizational leaders have handled this.
0: Wow, that's, that's pretty amazing, 90%. That's, uh, that's pretty impressive. So what do you think of the long-term impact of the pandemic on the workplace landscape? I mean, are we gonna see a fallout when we go back to what we call normal or will there be a normal that we even return to?
1: I do think that for most organizations, there will be a return to normal, um, probably even similar to where we were before the pandemic but I do think that there are several trends that we will see come out of all of this. And one is is certainly remote work. I think that remote work and especially hybrid work will increase and probably become the norm for a lot of organizations. I think a lot of organizational leaders will realize that with the right supports in place, their productive employees can be productive from anywhere and that physical location doesn't necessarily matter. I also hope that the stigma that's often associated with remote work will decrease on the part of many employers as a result of this. And there's a lot of things that IO psychologists can do to help organizations in adapting to this trend of remote work. So IO psychologists can help organizations evolve their culture, evolve their leadership practices. Um, update the design of a lot of their workforce strategies. So if more organizations are shifting to remote work or hybrid work situations, um, you know, a lot of them are going to need to update their compensation plans and update their performance management plans and, and their hiring practices. So I think there's a lot of ways that IO psychologists can help facilitate these transitions. Um, and, and along those lines and with the hiring practices, I think we're going to start to see increased competition for talent with a lot of organizations. So again, these organizations that are realizing that people don't necessarily have to be in the physical office space to be productive, um, and that a productive employee can be located anywhere. I think we'll start to see some increased competition there.
0: Yeah, a question just came to mind, um, as it relates to productivity, if has there been any measurements as to productivity sitting at a desk versus productivity remote? I mean, it seems like there has to be a baseline somewhere there.
1: Um, you know, there is. And again, what, what I've seen on that is, is pretty mixed, and it seems to depend on the organization. Um, you know, in, in organizations where remote work is the norm, I think productivity, it doesn't seem to matter where it, where it's happening, and if the organization and the organizational leaders support that. I think when when the culture of the organization doesn't support that, and you maybe have a few people who are working remotely, and that's not the norm of the organization, I think there's a lot of misperception and stigma associated with that. People kind of wonder, you know, what is this person doing working from home? Are they actually getting any work done? And I think that's when you kind of see some of those drops in productivity because there's that lack of employee engagement.
0: Well, I'm going to shift gears one more time here and just ask you, where do you see the I.O. program heading, Dr. Henning? Do you see the program continuing to grow in numbers and scope and reach? Where where do you see the future of, of the I.O. program?
1: I think the program will grow. I think I think our numbers will continue to increase, but I also think that we will start to face increased competition from other IO master's programs coming online. Um, one of the goals of our program has always been to not only train students in the content of the field, but to really focus on the development of their professional skills and competencies. And one of the ways that I I hope we're able to continue to do this is by expanding our ability to offer students consulting-like experiences. So whether that be through the individual applied projects that they are doing for organizations now through their capstone and other courses, or through work in our Center for Applied Psychology and Workforce Development, which is our in-house consulting firm that's led by Dr. Makai. I think as our program grows, it's, it's becoming a little more difficult to manage these individual applied experiences for our students. And I think, you know, it requires a lot of additional resources to do so. But I think if we can maintain and expand on this focus of these, you know, professional development and, and consulting skills, I, I really think that will help our program stand out.
0: Very good. Dr. Henning, we mentioned some of your research interests at the beginning, at the opening of this um, interview, but can you tell us what your research passions really are?
1: Sure. Um, I think the research that I'm involved in that excites me the most is any research that focuses on employee well-being in some sense. So whether that be employee work-life balance, employee safety in the workplace, um, I think that's you know, that's where I really feel passionate about the research that I do. Um, It's not necessarily research that I've done, but I've seen some information that suggests that with the pandemic, that the average length of the workday has increased. So when, you know, employees aren't commuting, they can spend more time working. We know that when we work from home, the work that we're doing tends to creep into the non-work hours and the weekend. And, you know that, that might be great for organizational productivity, but I kind of wonder what toll that's going to take in the long run on employee well-being. and, think you know factors like like burnout. Um, so it it's that kind of research. I've been involved in some research uh, since graduate school, really starting 15 years ago, looking at telework and remote work and what some of the challenges are and how, um, you know, maybe surprisingly to some people, it seems that remote work or telework can actually lead to a reduction in work-life balance and actually lead to more work-life conflict than, than some people mm-hmm. expect. Um, so I think, you know, that's, if we can, if we can focus on employee well-being and, and how increasing employee well-being and engagement really leads to greater productivity for employees, that's really exciting to me.
0: Well, I'm going to ask you a somewhat of a personal question now, but would you share with our listeners a little bit about your interests, your personal interests? I mean, what is it you like to do in your spare time if you have time?
1: <laughs> well, I have I have three children. I have a 17-month-old, a 4-year-old and a 9-year-old. So, most of my time, most of my spare time is usually spent with them. Um uh, but we we all love to be outdoors. They love to be outside all the time if they can be um, so, so we try to get outside with them and do something every chance that we get, um, we all love to visit the beach. So, um, my husband's family is actually from South Carolina. So we try to, to visit there a couple times a year and, 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 get to the beach. And our kids are already talking about our beach trip for this year. That's four and a half months down the road. So <laughs> they're already excited for that. Um, when I do get time to myself. I enjoy running. I try to do that a couple times a week. I enjoy reading, although the last couple years, that's really turned into uh, listening to audiobooks and podcasts as opposed to reading a physical book. Um, I enjoy spending time with friends when I can, when we're not in a pandemic. And... (laughs) My husband and I really enjoy visiting breweries, so on the rare occasion that we have time alone together without our kids, that is where you will find
0: us. As we wrap up, Dr. Hanning, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that that we didn't hit on?
1: Um, You know, I just really want to thank you for the opportunity to talk about the program. I think, unfortunately, there still seems to be a stigma associated with online graduate programs in our field. Um, I'm actually on a subcommittee looking at online education and training for IO graduate students through PSYOP, which is the primary professional organization that IO psychologists belong to. Um, And Even on this subcommittee, those who aren't teaching in online programs seem to hold some level of skepticism regarding the fact that you can have quality online graduate education in our field. Um, But I think the faculty in our program have worked really hard to make the switch to online learning without compromising the quality and rigor of our program. But we know as we grow, we're going to face challenges to that um, and to the interpersonal nature of our program. I feel like all of the faculty in our program know our students really well. We know their names. We know what's going on in their lives. Um, So I'm just thrilled that we're able to provide this training to so many great students who due to their jobs or other life circumstances, wouldn't be able to pursue a degree in IO in a full-time face-to-face program. And kind of on that note, I want to thank you and the amazing instructional designers that have worked with our program over the years and our online eCampus advisors. Our program wouldn't be as successful as it is without the support that we have had from all of you. So we really appreciate that and thank you.
0: Well, thank you for the kind words. Um, we just really want to thank you today for your time, Dr. Henning. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you and getting to know you a little bit better. And it's really been interesting learning more about the Industrial Organizational Psychology Program. Uh, I was not that familiar with it until we did some research about it and now talking with you. So thank you for your time and thank you for giving us some great insights into into the master's program.
1: Thank you.